0: Narnia, awake! Welcome to Talking Beasts
1: from NarniaWeb.com,
0: where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis
2: and keep a watchful eye
1: on the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts.
2: Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. This is Glumpuddle. And I'm Movie Aristotle. And this is a uh, long time coming episode. In a lot of ways, today we're talking about the BBC radio adaptations of The Chronicles of Narnia.
0: Tales of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, dramatized by Brian Sibley. The storyteller is Morris Denham,
2: and this is actually take two for us um, because it was March that we had it scheduled. Yeah, and and uh, just said, "Oh, there's a pandemic on. You know what? Let's wait a few weeks for the pandemic to blow over, (laughs) and then we'll record this." Um, And uh, well, we've been waiting. We've waited long enough, basically. So we're just going to go ahead and record it. um, And that uh, background atmosphere, that lovely ambiance you're hearing is my backyard. Um, so we're taking all the necessary precautions. Uh, we're outside. We're several feet apart. Um, and uh, and maybe it's appropriate. We're talking about radio dramas
1: today. So we're getting a little atmosphere for free. None um, of these sound effects were added in post. It's all um, real. Unless you hear something like a dragon or like a thunderclap or something like that. M- maybe
2: Maybe not. The way this year has gone... That might be real as well, actually. But uh, yeah, so we've been uh, waiting for a while to do this one. And it's also been a long requested episode for many years. Occasionally, someone will say, you should do a podcast about the BBC radio dramas. But one of the, I guess the main reason we've done one is I never heard them all the way through before until very, very recently. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Tumnus. I'm very pleased to meet you, Mr. Tumnus. And may I ask, O oh Lucy,
0: daughter of Eve, how you have come into Narnia? Narnia? What's that? This is the land of Narnia, where we are now. All that lies between the lamppost and the great castle of Care Paravel on the Eastern Sea. And you? You have come from the wild woods of the West? I I got into the wardrobe in the spare room.
2: It's taken me many years to get through these. Uh, I think it was about 15 years ago I first decided to try listening to these. <laughs> and just couldn't get into them, got distracted. There was movie news.
1: It really isn't that hard to listen to them, but I totally understand what you mean because I first, I first listened to Prince Caspian, I think 2009, 2010. It was a cassette tape. BBC Prince Caspian. BBC Prince Caspian. Mm-hmm. It was a cassette tape from the library. And I listened to it and then largely didn't think about it for years. Mm-hmm. I looked up yesterday. I downloaded the complete set of The Chronicles, on Christmas Eve 2015. Mm. And I did not finish listening to them until last night. And the only reason that I finished was because I knew that we were recording this Today. I otherwise, actually beat you then. Okay. Otherwise, I might not have finished listening to them last so I night. It's actually finished before you because I finished two days ago. <laughs> so, there you go.
2: Yeah, but yeah, that, uh, having the uh, I needed this episode recording as motivation as well. Um, maybe that gives away some of my overall thoughts a little bit. Um, but yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation with Narni Webbers where I'll say, Hey, have you heard the BBC radio dramas? And they'll say, Oh, you mean the, the BBC movies, the BBC miniseries, the TV series? I'll say, No, 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 no the BBC radio dramas, and they'll go, oh, you must mean the focus on the family radio dramas, right? Where Douglas Gresham does the (laughs) intro, David Touche is Aslan, and I'll say, no, the BBC radio dramas, and they'll Mm -hmm. look at you like, they don't quite believe me or something? Like, (laughs) are you sure?
0: Look, Polly, the ground is... It's bubbling, like water in a pot. Good gracious me, everywhere, swelling up into humps. The humps are moving and bursting, and... Oh, look there are animals inside there are some dogs and badgers and foxes all coming up out of the earth extraordinary phenomenon
2: quite extraordinary yes bbc did radio dramas it was quite a long time span i think it was about like 1988 to 1977 these guys ran um and for uh 97 97 when they finished um no, but it was it was about it was several years, right? That these so, were
1: uh, spanned over. If the wikis can be believed, uh, the first one came out in eighty eight, and which was Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe*. Followed with *Magician's Nephew* in eighty nine. So BBC worked on the TV series and these radio dramas about the same where, time. About the same time, which I thought was very interesting. Uh-huh. But but the the first two kind of came together. Mm-hmm. and then there was a gap of several years it wasn't until 1994 that they continued the series with The Horse and His Boy and they finished it uh, in 97 with Last Battle that
2: makes a lot of sense listening to them actually and we should clarify by the way that by first two and everyone get you know you may want to just brace yourselves here by first two what we mean is The Magician's Nephew and The Lion the Witch and the wardrobe, mm-hmm. because this series is definitively told in chronological order
1: almost i mean it was released in with wardrobe first and was then it? went back to magician's nephew which i was surprised when i learned that really but because it does it, in the final presentation that's available on audible they do start with magician's nephew and continue on. onward interesting it, it's so seamless isn't it it really seems like I mean, we're gonna get that's one of the main points we're gonna get into but the way that
2: uh magician's nephew and blind the in the wardrobe kind of seamlessly hand off to each other i am surprised to hear that but we're gonna get into that very soon um, so, yeah, what we're going to do here is, uh, just to give you a basic overview, I've picked out a f- we've each picked a few talking points, a few interesting points of adaptation we want to talk about that I think will interest you, especially if you haven't heard these. And hopefully by, by the time it's over, you'll be able to decide if these are worth um, your time checking out. Um, and um, so I definitely want to – you've got a theory about why these are so under the radar that mm-hmm. I want to ask you about. Um, and then, um, I wanted to highlight how Diggory is used in the series and that'll i be most focused most on, most on how he's used differently in Magician's Nephew and Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Um, you want to talk about the continuity and the attempt to kind of connect these more, uh, make them more of a, a unfold, one unfolding story. I definitely want to talk about how Prince Caspian is just completely stripped apart and done totally differently. A few of the books are, but I guess Caspian in particular, Um, then I've got a particular scene I want to highlight from Voyage of the Dawn Treader where they actually did straight up make a change. They didn't add dialogue that's derived from the book or move this around or restructure something. No, they, they changed. It's a small, but they did straight up change something, which they don't usually do in these radio dramas. Then you want to talk about the cast and we'll share our overall thoughts. And, uh, then I'm going to try to stump you with a stump question related to the BBC versions. Um, so... Yeah, so get okay. get Queen Susan's horn ready. You look pretty pretty nervous. Um, I, but uh, okay, um, so you have a theory about maybe it's people are listening to this and this is the first time. I, I I bet you we have a lot of listeners now who did not know these existed until this episode started, and maybe they're even now in the back of their minds thinking. Are, are, are they sure they're not talking about the Focus on the Family ones? Um, why are <laughs> no. these so under the radar,
1: movie Aristotle? You know, I, I have a theory about that. And, and the, actually I actually have two reasons why I think this flies under the radar. And the first one is the Focus on the Family radio dramas. Mm-hmm. So the BBC finished theirs in 97. And Focus on the Family started in 1999, with their, I believe they started with wardrobe, and they continued See, on. I, into thought 2002. B- I thought Focus
2: started with Magician's nephew as oh, well.
1: I didn't look that one up, so I'll, okay. I'll uh, we'll we'll table that for now. But uh, regardless, there's only a two year gap from when BBC Four ended and yeah. the Focus on the Family began. And the Focus on the Family radio dramas are masterpieces. Mm-hmm. I I think that They're very good. when it comes to adaptations of Narnia, I don't think that we're going to get a better adaptation. It was such a nice translation of something from one medium to another and using the benefits of the medium that you're translating it into. So because of that, I think Focus on the Family just eclipsed it to yeah. a certain degree. I think that's... Maybe the biggest reason why it's it's not as notable as you'd think.
2: Definitely, yeah, I mean, the focus the focus versions are just uh, so beloved. Um, I would contrast them by by comparing them. I'd say that the focus versions are really trying to stick to the script, to stick to the book as closely as they can. And occasionally, they got to add a little bit of dialogue here. But even when they do, it's like usually kind of derived from Lewis's narration or something like that. They they don't really make any. It unfolds the same way. Even Prince Caspian unfolds the same way the book does. Whereas BBC is not afraid to um, add some things, even tweak some things very slightly. Certainly a few of the books are just dramatically restructured. But the main thing, I guess, that separates the focus versions and the BBC versions is uh, the focus versions um, uses a narrator quite a bit. Um, they get a lot of Lewis's narration in by just using uh, just sort of just a general narrator. Yep. Um, whereas BBC um, tries very hard to avoid. Oh, they only use the narrator when they absolutely have to. Um, and um, But it, more often, they'll resort to characters just kind of looking at something and saying what they're seeing and saying what's happening, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. And
1: Sometimes it's a bit awkward.
2: I'll head towards the Right. Now the other horse
0: is going to the left. We don't seem to have much choice but to gallop side by side. The moon's coming out of the clouds. I can see them. The rider seems to shine in the moonlight. Chainmail. But he doesn't look like a great warrior. He's far too small and he hasn't a beard. Look out ahead. Something flat and shining. Water. Salt. I know that taste. It's the sea there's an inlet just here along the coast
2: now that's one criticism I've had of the focus Virgins is I've always felt they use the narrator too much um, but but now you see the contrast now I see the contrast now maybe it could have been done better um, but I will say me it works okay with the focus versions because the narrator is so darn good in that mm-hmm. version. He's
1: such a voice, his voice is such a pleasure to listen to. Um, this leads into my second point as why I think these fly under the radar. And it's, it's just the most remarkable thing about these productions is how unremarkable they are. It's a sad criticism, but, but I'll explain what I mean by that. But quick, a little side story. So when I was preparing to talk about The Magician's Nephew uh, radio drama back in March because uh, we were just going to talk about magician's nephew at that point, so when I was preparing, I had all my notes written up, and, like a good uh, guest podcaster, I went and I listened to the most recent podcast, so I was up on you know what had already been talked about, and you were discussing BBC's television adaptation of Prince Caspian, mm-hmm. and I was in horror listening to this because Jim Fan's notes were like. Almost exactly my notes for the radio dramas. Plagiarism. Like, everybody's going to think that I just copied Jim Fan, and I made these notes before hey, I if listened. you're gonna copy someone. It might as well be Jim Fan. True, true. She is brilliant, but he. I'm sort of glad that now a few months have passed so all the listeners have had time to forget forget what was said back in March. Unless you go back and listen to those podcasts, which you shouldn't do, because (laughs) then I'm just going to sound like I'm plagiarizing. But my main criticism of the BBC audio dramas is that they are too plot-focused. They move so fast that you can't... Uh, It's hard for you to identify with the characters and with the atmosphere of Narnia. Mm -hmm. And you've said on previous podcasts that Narnia is nothing if not atmosphere. This
2: is kind of like, well, what if you took the atmosphere out of Narnia? What would you have left?
1: That's kind of what these are. There's a lot of talking.
0: There's a lion there. And he's waiting to pounce. It doesn't seem to have seen me. It isn't looking at me. It's that dwarf it's going to jump on. When it springs, that will be my chance to escape. Why doesn't it do something? It hasn't moved. Of course, it's not a real lion at all. It's a stone one. (laughs) How stupid of me.
2: I completely agree with your assessment that these are very, very plot focused and what was so great about the focus versions, especially if you're listening like in, you know, a fairly new car with a nice surround sound system, man, Mm -hmm. you just get lost in that world. You can you feel so immersed in what's going on. Yeah, is nothing if not atmosphere. And these generally don't really try to do that. Um, part of it is technical. Like, everyone sounds like their voice was recorded in a conference room. No matter whether they're in the desert or in a wardrobe or in a castle or underground or in a cavern, they all sound exactly the same. Um, hmm. But, yeah, so it took me a while to adjust to that. But I think by the time they got to Prince Caspian, I just accepted, okay, that's what they're doing. They're doing the plot thing. And I just sort of went with it. And I think Prince Caspian is... Possibly my favorite of the series because I think it's pretty well done on that end. Like, um, look, the book is better, of course. I love getting immersed in the atmosphere of the book and for the focus on the family radio dramas, for that matter. But they—I'll just go and skip ahead to my Prince Caspian point here. Um, They've completely—the first point that might interest um, people—they've completely stripped apart the plot of Prince Caspian and they're doing it very, very differently. And really, no adaptation of Prince Caspian has really done it maybe the logos theater i can't remember how the logos theater does it but um no the the, the all the adaptations of prince caspian change they don't do it quite like the book, where you know we we the long four chapter flashback to explain who Caspian was, even the focus versions do it a bit differently because they bring in Trumpkin and he takes over as the narrator mm-hmm. and that's not what the book does. The book Lewis actually explains that's not what he's doing mm-hmm. you know i'm not I'll, I'll give the gist of the story as they knew it in the end <laughs> is this, so even focus versions kind of kind of weren't quite faithful to this part of the book, but so basically Prince Caspian opens with a scene where Professor Diggory reveals himself to Mm -hmm. uh, the kids. What do
0: you mean, Professor? What I mean, Susan, is... Well, I wasn't surprised when you told me that you'd got through that wardrobe into Narnia because I've been there, too. What? (laughs) You, Professor? Yes. You needn't look quite so startled, Edmund. Although it was many years ago now when I was... Oh, about your age. Were you king of Narnia, as we were kings and queens when we were there? No, no, but I was there when Aslan crowned the first king of Narnia. <laughs> I should have known that there was something magical about that wardrobe.
2: Because because they're leaving his house and they're about to go to go to the train station or whatever. Um, and basically, um, they are just like the BBC TV series where they were constantly intercutting between Caspian's backstory of him mm-hmm. leaving the castle, discovering the old Narnians, yada, yada intercutting. And occasionally they would cut back to, um, the peventies on the platform and they're saying, Oh, someone's talking about me or whatever. This is a similar thing, but a more developed version of it. Cause instead they're cutting back to, you know, Lucy, Oh, let, we have to pack the sandwiches. We're going to be late for the train. And you know, they'll, they'll cut back to, you know, and we kind of realize, and there's a bit where Lucy says it, it's, it's, maybe it's kind of obnoxious, not the most subtle thing, but I think it's effective, where she says, oh, I wonder if we'll ever get back to Narnia, and I wonder what's okay. going on in Narnia. So that's a, a clue to the audience, oh, these obviously they're going to get back to Narnia, and these two story threads have to come together at some point.
1: And, um, and they do that quite a bit uh, in The Silver Chair yeah. as well, uh-huh. where... Uh, Lucy and Edmund and Eustace are all together and they're talking about, oh, you know, I wonder what happened to Caspian. This is how how, how Silverchair starts. Well, I
0: don't feel as if I'm the same person anymore. (laughs) Well, I'm not surprised. Being turned into a dragon would have that effect on anyone. Ed, don't be rotten. It's all right, Lucy, he's right. But the real change happened when I stopped being a dragon and became a boy again. That's true. You're not the same Eustace we came to stay with at the beginning of the holidays. Was I really that bad? (laughs) Worse. Still, the important thing is what you are now. I've got my visit to Narnia, and most of all my meeting with Aslan to thank for that. (sighs) What's up, Edmund? It's just that I keep wondering what's been happening there since we left. Mm, Me too
1: they're all wondering well i wonder what happened and lucy who's a very good guesser is like well you know i think that you know he probably married ramandu's daughter and then they cut to you know the the wedding don't they and yeah. and they cut intercut back and forth between them guessing what happened in narnia and what actually happened in narnia which i'm thinking lucy should play the lottery because she's very good at, right. at that guessing so, but it does this it it really does set up the point that Narnian time goes differently from time right. on Earth. So it, it could be very possible that literally within the few minutes that they're sitting there yeah. talking about what's going on in Narnia, Narnia is literally moving on through those very events. That's true. I th- I'm sure the main reason they did it was,
2: like, these these scripts are hell-bent on no flashbacks. Um, like In the <laughs> sil- in, in Prince Caspian, no. We're going to iron it out chronologically and we'll just cut back and forth. And in Silver Chair... You know, in the book, they get to the part they don't. They only have a vague idea of what happened with Rillian until they get to the Parliament of Owls. Then they give the, the Owls give the whole backstory. Mm-hmm. So here, yeah, they cut back and forth between Eustace and like I, I think it's probably like twenty minutes into the Silver Chair before we get to Eustace before we even meet Jill Pohl, because they're filling in the backstory of um, what happened to Rilian. So they t- they tell it in chronological order, basically. Mm-hmm.
0: Rilian, my son,
2: father. What's the hurry? I'm going riding with Mother.
0: Hunting? Not today, Caspian, I think. It is far too nice a day for hunting. We thought we'd just ride out into the countryside with some of the court and a few musicians and do nothing more energetic than celebrate the fact that it is a beautiful spring morning in the month of May. A good enough reason. (laughs) Come with us. Leave your heavy old crown behind. I'll make you a crown of leaves from the woods. Do come, Caspian. We will have a wonderful ride. Unfortunately, I have a meeting with Trumpkin... Matters of state,
2: all very dull. Why do you have to do dull things all the time, Father? Uh,
0: it goes with the job, as you'll find out one day.
2: Basically, no flashbacks, no narrator is kind of the mantra um, of these adaptations. Except for Magician's Nephew There's and *Line of Witch
1: the Wardrobe. That's true. Which which, which
2: I... which is, uh, those two are very straightforward tellings of the book. Um, Diggory, or I should say Professor Kirk, narrates mm-hmm. the Magician's Nephew.
0: Uncle Andrew and his study vanished instantly, and then, for a moment, everything became muddled. The next thing I knew, there was a soft green light coming down from above and darkness below. I didn't seem to be standing on anything, or, or sitting, or lying, and nothing appeared to be touching me. I think I'm in mean water, or under water. Well, this frightened me for a second, but then suddenly I felt myself rushing upwards. And I found myself scrambling ashore, out onto smooth, grassy ground at the edge of a small pool in a wood. That's strange. I'm perfectly dry.
2: Here's the really interesting part. Diggory, Professor Kirk, also narrates the line, the witch, in the wardrobe.
0: Four young people came to live with me, and with their visit began the second Narnian adventure. Hello there. I'm Professor Kirk, and you must be the Pevensey children. Perhaps you'd be kind enough to tell me which of you is which. I'm Peter, sir. My name's Susan. Edmund? And I'm Lucy. Ah, good. Well, it's very nice to have you here, and I hope you'll be happy.
2: So a lot of the stuff that maybe Lewis as a narrator uh, talks about in The line which the of would the Orange, a lot of those lines are given uh, to Diggory. And I thought it worked pretty well in the magician's nephew i kind of enjoyed having the diggory talking talking in the past tense and getting the perspective of many years later combined with it's happening right now in wardrobe i it i didn't i questioned like why would diggory have such intimate knowledge of what the characters were thinking and feeling like and then an extraordinary thing happened when they heard ashland's name lucy felt this way and peter felt this way and you could say well, maybe they just told him. But it didn't feel like that. It felt like, why would he know so intimately what they were thinking and feeling? And so it, I, I questioned the credibility of that as I, was, as I was going through it.
1: Well, if we're going into like more of a philosophical argument, how does Lewis know what was going on in their minds? Because supposedly the narrator True. of the books yes. heard it from somewhere. Yes, heard it from the characters so maybe, themselves. So maybe he heard it from Professor Kirk, and as they'd been relayed to uh-huh. him, I guess because the narrator is such a mysterious figure mm-hmm. in the
2: book it's like well you ask the question how does he know that and I go I don't know because we we don't there's so much about the narrator that we we don't know it's just sort of implied whereas in these adaptations we know exactly who Diggory is we know we have a good idea what he would know and wouldn't know so it's, it's more of a stretch, I guess. I guess since Lewis leaves so much unknown, he kind of has that get-out-of-jail-free
1: card. He doesn't have to explain it. He just leaves it off the table. The real question is, how does Lewis know about the last battle? Because then if Kirk is no longer there to tell him what's going on... hmm That's... And, tr- well, there are clearly some chinks and chasms. Um, maybe these just aren't real.
2: Uh, maybe these didn't really happen, and there's uh, inconsistencies, and we just have to have podcasts where we iron out these problems. Um, but anyway... Um, so, yeah, um, d- definitely an attempt with uh, bridging Magician's Nephew and Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. And Diggory comes back, you know, like, again, he had, makes an appearance in Prince Caspian, and then his role in The Last Battle feels bigger because they do a similar thing in The Last Battle where they're, you know, like, the first time we experience, um, sh- uh, speaking of The Last Battle, there's a train going by. Oh. Um, <laughs> I'm wow. glad we're some
1: distance from it.
2: Yes. Um, <laughs> So, um, yeah, The Last Battle, just like the other books, like the first time we see Dylan Eustace is not the first time it is in the book when, um, uh, like, you know, when Tyrion gets rescued. Like, we've been, they have these sort of gatherings, kind of like we have sometimes, the Seven Friends of Narnia. come along, sit yourselves down, let's have some tea. (laughs) Right. So, how
0: many times have you been to Narnia? Twice. The first time with Edmund and Lucy... And then the last time with Jill here. I've only been there once, you see. Oh, never mind. We only went there the once, didn't we, Dickie? Yes, awful often hope we'd get back, but never did. Mm. Now, as for you two, I'm not sure your travelling days are quite over yet. How do you mean? Are we going back? Well, it's uh, not up to me, I'm afraid, but look... Let us wait until the others arrive, then we can all talk about it together. Oh. oh the professor's right.
2: Diggory as I just have this sense there's something wrong in Narnia. We're cutting mm-hmm. back and forth between that and
1: uh, the main story. And apparently okay. this is the first time that Eustace and Jill have been invited to the party. Yes. Uh-huh. So it, that, that I thought was kind of interesting because my... My interpretation from the book is that oh they all know each other by the time Tyrion shows up, right? But not mm-hmm. in this version. This is kind of like their, you know, at least Eustace's and Jill's yeah. first meeting.
2: And yeah, so they keep they really keep Diggory present throughout the series as much as they can. So much so that when you get to the end, and I think Diggory even closes the series, doesn't he? he doesn't Diggory at he the end? He gives the epilogue. He gives the epilogue, and so you get you have the sense. That the D- Diggory is kind of the little thread that ties the whole series together in this version. Um, and you may think this because I'm pro publication order, I th- I'll, I'll be like against that or whatever. And I'm, I'm not against that because. Mm-hmm. Um, like the problem with chronological order in the books is that they just changed the number on the spine and called it a day. Mm-hmm. But that's not what they did here. Here they're, they're retelling the story in chronological order. And mm-hmm. that's fine that they make the appropriate tweaks in order to do that. I believe that if Lewis had lived long enough, he probably would have done the same thing with the text uh, and made it, made it uh, work in chronological order. Uh, but without, obviously, Lewis is the only person qualified to actually change the text. So since he didn't do that, you should just leave it as he left it. But um, anyway, so yeah, th- there's a very conscious effort to uh, make these series, f- as much as they can, feel like in a single unfolding story. Um, and Diggory's kind of the connective tissue there.
1: He is. And th- that's the way that it starts with Magician's Nephew and Language in the Wardrobe. And, and, uh, and then, of course, there's the jump for uh, uh, The Horse and His Boy, which is actually the narration starts out b- from Brie. Uh huh, and then uh, they well, uh, jump into Brita, that tale. Just
2: bookends it, doesn't it? He's just at the, the beginning and the end. I don't think you ever. And when in.
1: too, when, uh, when comes in at the end as at well, at the very end. And so I kind of understand that because that's during the golden age of Narnia, and and just like the book, they say here's you know a tale that happens in the golden age of Narnia.
0: I wonder if we'll always go on quarrelling like this. What do you mean, even when we grown up? Yes. Do you think we will? And of course they did. And years later. When they were grown up, they were so used to quarreling and making it up again that they got married so as to go on doing it more conveniently. And Huynh and I both got married. <laughs> but not to one another. Oh, no, no, no. And we live contentedly in Narnia.
1: So there's your connective tissue there. Uh-huh. Then you have Prince Gaspin, which we already discussed. D- Diggory. Diggory. There at the beginning, he reveals himself to the kids. And so there's kind of a, a recap of... Of both uh, magicians' W and language in the wardrobe, isn't there just like a tiny little recap? Somewhat, there. where he kind of says,
2: you know, like, oh, he doesn't go into a lot of detail, but there is an, an implicit recap, I guess, or you're, you're reminded of it at least,
1: yeah. And then in *Voyage of the Dawn Treader*, there's a, a little bit of a recap of Prince Caspian, and then uh, *Silver Chair* there's a little bit of recap oh, I see, what, of, I see what you're
2: saying, okay, of,
1: of *Voyage of the Dawn Treader*. And then last time on the Chronicles of Narnia, exactly, and that's or, kind of or Tales feels, of Narnia, whichever it is. <laughs> it, that's that's how it feels. Is that you know this radio audience may not have heard the previous entry in a, a while, uh-huh. so they're making conscious efforts to remind the audience of what happened previously. And right. then of course, that culminates in the last battle when you know the friends of Narnia are are gathering together and, and telling bits. And then of course they make it take advantage of when Jewel tells Jill about the uh, the history of Narnia as right. well mm-hmm.
2: to kind of so, remind
1: people. So as that. much
2: as they can, they do an okay job at making it feel like one unfolding story, I guess. Um, but um, not in a Michael Apted way where it's like, let's introduce a green mist so we can set up the Lady of the Green Curl.
1: Not in that kind of way. Although, um, but they take what's there and they you know emphasize certain things. They do put in some scenes which I kind of like. And I, they're in there for more of like a purpose of exposition, but in the voyage of the Don Treader, especially the the first few scenes aboard the Don Treader, where they're establishing the characters a little bit, I do like that. Um, there's a scene where uh, later on, where Reepa and and Lucy are playing chess. Now, where were we? Ah,
0: I've just moved my knight, which I fear threatens your Majesty's bishop. Oh yes. You are a cunning player, Chief. Your Majesty, I play always according to the rules. It's just the knight is my favourite piece, and when I bring one of them into play, it's as if the game were a real battle and my knight were doing what I would do in his place. Chief, <laughs> what is it? Look, the sky, over there. Great clouds building up in the west. And at amazing speed.
2: In the book, that was just, Lewis tells you that happened. Teep was a good chess player, except when he wasn't. Um, <laughs> and they actually make
1: a scene out of that, yeah. So I like that, and I like... Um, how should I put this so that I don't give a false impression? Um, one of the things that I enjoy about any particular adaptation is what makes it unique. Sure. If every adaptation of The line "Which in the Wardrobe is exactly the same, then there's no reason to watch or listen to this new adaptation. Mm-hmm. So it's the it's the little fingerprints that make it different, that make it unique and make mm-hmm. it interesting. Right. And so even though you can tell some of these scenes were just added on for the sake of exposition or to, you know, eliminate the narrator, it is kind of interesting thinking, okay, so Lucy's... You know, back from the Dawn Treader and, you know, she's talking with Eustace and Edmund. What would what what would they say? Mm-hmm. What would they talk about? And, and, and
2: kind of like so viewing it as in the context of other Narnia adaptations. For me as a fan of Narnia, I've I've listened or watched several of them. And so, yeah, in almost kind of a I don't want to say fan fiction kind of way, but in a way of like, <laughs> well yeah, what kinds of things like you're talking about when uh The seven friends of Narnia have their meeting and it's a chance to there's a lot of dialogue there where they're all saying oh man I wish we could get back to Narnia and you can kind of feel their sense of the bond they have with each other I'm probably making it sound more interesting than it actually is but um, like, as a fan of Narnia, I'm like, okay, it's fun to imagine what how what how that might have unfolded. Exactly. Um, but I think the way they go about it is pretty bland. Mm-hmm. It tends to be a lot of, I just can't get over how there's different times in uh-huh. Narnia yep. and recap that for us. And, like, guys, even the first time I read the book, like, I got through that by, like, the beginning of Prince Cast Me. Like, okay, got it. Different times. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so, yeah, there's... If you, haven't heard, if you haven't heard these before and you're a huge fan of Narnia, there's some things that are fun to imagine. What Well, if Lewis doesn't give us all that detail, what might it have been like? Even though I think the execution is often a little bit bland, or
1: really bland, actually. Or just plain wrong. But <laughs> Wrong? You know. How's that? Well, yeah, again, I go back to the last battle, and I'm, just, I'm not sure that I agree with that interpretation of Eustace and Jill just kind of be, you know, meeting Professor Kirk and Polly for the first time. Um,
2: I think, um, I mean, like the line, like how far has it been between Silver, Silver Chair and Last Battle is a bit blurry, I think, um, for one thing. Um, and also, I think they're using Eustace, they're probably using Eustace and Jill as kind of the audience surrogates for like, exactly. because this was their first time meeting, they can ask questions
1: mm-hmm. that we need to know. Um, but, um, and then prefer- Professor Kirk can give the entire Narnia timeline while exactly. he's standing there. And, oh, well, I think this probably happened in about a thousand years, right. e- you know? So, yeah, it's, it's things that are. F-
2: I, ha- I had, as a fan of Narnia, heard of other adaptations, I enjoyed
1: that, even though the execution was, blah. I enjoyed the idea of it at least. But the rest of the production was just so fast. I started listening one day at Ramandu's Island, and I literally had to look at my device to see if I had it playing at 1.5 speed, because they were just talking so fast, and there were hardly any pauses between lines, and it was just really it's very quick. very, keep it moving. Generally, there's mixed results,
2: but like with Prince Caspian, I think I really think they do a good job with the plot of Prince Caspian, um, because I was actually, that was the only one where I was kind of sort of on the edge of my, the closest I'd come to sort of being on the edge of my seat, and I, you know, I generally listen to these in the car, and there's not a lot of commuting these days, because I'm working from home, but it, Prince Caspian was the only one where I would, when I would get to my destination, had to turn the car off. I was like, oh, man, I was enjoying that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to see kind of what's going to happen next. Maybe that's because the structuring is so different from the book that I literally don't quite know how it's going to go down. But specifically, there is one of the best dialogue scenes in the whole series, which is the sorcery and sudden vengeance scene. Um, they, The way they intercut that with the journey of... You know the Pevensies and Trumpkin to the stone table, I thought was superb. This, to me, this is like the high point of these adaptations where uh, they basically take that conversation and it, you're squint, you're like making a face, but at least conceptually, I thought it was pretty, I thought it was pretty good. Um, let me finish and then you can poo-poo it.
0: So the hours pass, your majesty. Yes, Nick, a brick they do. And still no help. If ever there was a high King Peter and a Queen Susan and a, a King Edmund and a Queen Lucy... Then either they have not heard us, or they can't come, or they are our enemies. Or they are on their way. Now you can go on saying that till Melaz has fed us all to his dogs. Does Master Dwarf have some plan or scheme in mind? Uh, Indeed I do. Then tell us what it is. In my own time, if it please, Your Majesty. I suppose we are going the right way at least the woods are thinning out but i don't see how we can go wrong then where's the river rush got to i certainly thought we'd have reached it by now uh, but still there's nothing to do but keep on oh watch out everyone
2: so they take that conversation and they kind of made it seem like it unfolded in bits over a few days and i thought that created some nice dramatic tension where it was are they going to get there in time are the oh, old narnies going to give up they do the same thing in the bbc tv series but it only lasts for like you know 90 seconds. Where here they stretch it out over probably a good fifteen minutes. They're doing that intercutting.
1: It does create more drama, but if you stop and think about it for a moment, you know, they blow the horn and then the next day they're like, oh well, that didn't work. Well, Trumpkin hasn't had a chance to even get to them yet. So it makes a lot more sense for that conversation to happen when it does in the book, other than dragging it out amongst multiple scenes and then, you know, having have you know people saying, Well, Nickabrick, what's your plan? Well, you know, I'll just wait, and you know, in my own time, I'll let you know what's going on. It's like, why did you even bring it up? that nick abri?
2: I those are valid points. I think maybe it doesn't make complete sense, but it I'll take things that don't make sense but entertain me and draw me in. Um, I'm, I'm fine with that. Um that those are valid points, though I hadn't quite considered those. Like, like you said, They've, these are incredibly plot-centered. Let's just get through the story as quick as we can, basically. Let's they, keep the tension on. Let's keep the pressure on. Prince Caspian, I thought, was the only one where that kind of worked kind
1: of well. They cut out you know, the first bit of the scene in wardrobe where they're with a the professor. They kind of jump straight to the, you know, the liar, lunatic, or yeah. you know, truth yep. uh, uh, uh-huh. bit. They cut out the sea serpent from that's true voyage of the dawn treader Uh so it's very you know let's get to the gist of the scene and then let's move on for most of the production but um generally um yeah these ones are
2: uh less afraid than focus on the family to make some changes to turn it into a radio drama Mm -hmm. Um, there's one instance that i wanted to bring up just because it's um it's maybe the the biggest example of that, even though it's a little bit a little bit a scene, but it's this, where they actually straight up made a change. And that's where, uh, in the book, Eustace becomes a dragon. He tries to write his story, and he's not able to do it because his dragon fingers aren't used to writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so and there's the comical bit where Lewis kind of t- tells you what it said <laughs> after the, the sea washed it away. Um, but in the BBC radio drama, he actually is successful at writing out his story.
0: Mm-hmm. Y- you're not... You're... You're not Eustace by any chance. It is Eustace. Oh dear, oh dear. Eustace, what happened? Oh, he's trying to write on the sand with his claw. I went to sleep. I went to sleep, yes. Ragos, Agron's, Drangon's cave. You went into the dragon's cave. Cos dead and aiming so hard. Because the dragon was dead.
1: That would be the one we
0: saw. And yes, it was raining very hard. Which is why, if Master Scrub were in the cave, we didn't see him. He's still writing, but it's difficult to make out what with the tide coming in and the way he keeps accidentally swishing bits out with his tail. Woke up and couldn't get off my arm. He means the bracelets. Well done, Eustace. I don't know how we're going to get you out of this mess.
2: And the reason is because when he becomes a dragon you're listening and it's just not quite clear what's happening um, without that narration to support what's going on like lewis has in the book it's just kind of cl- unclear to me what's happening so but they kind of solve that by retroact- retrospectively kind of having Eustace write the story and having Lucy read it so that is a straight up change in the book he's not able to write and the in this r- radio drama he is um and so Even though it's a little example, I just wanted to point that out, that this series, unlike the focus versions, is not above just straight-up making changes. So what did you think of the cast? Um, To me, it felt like, is this a VeggieTales thing where, like, three people play all of the voices? Um, I really had, first off, as far as performance, most of them I thought were phoning it in. Um, oh yeah. Or maybe doing it via zoom. Really? Um, No, I, uh, yeah. Wasn't crazy about the cast. I give a positive example. I'll give is uncle Andrew. I thought was fantastic. Um, uh, I thought he did such a good job at, it's just hard. I really was listening going, you know, it's as bad as he is. It's hard to not like someone that is just so passionate about what they're doing.
0: I spent all my time studying magic until I came to have a fair idea of what might be in the box, although to do so I had to get to know some strange people and go through some very unpleasant experiences. Agradore Eldarath Fidelos, Surmadest et Mendil, Teregamen Videga. That was what turned my hair grey. But at last, I actually knew. Knew what? The Atlantean box contains something that had been brought from another world.
2: I thought he was excellent. And I thought that Stephen Thorne did a nice job as Aslan. He, by the way, also voices Aslan in the animated version. Um, does he really? Yes, he does. But the reason you probably don't know that is because his performance is so different in the animated version. He's, you know, this big, booming Aslan. And in this version, he's much more reserved
0: but your task will be the harder because of what you have done. What task, sir? The task for which I called you and him out of your own world. You look puzzled, human child. Speak your thought. Could there be some mistake? Nobody called me in Scrub. Oh? It was we who asked to come here. Scrub said we were to call to... to somebody. It was a name I didn't know. And perhaps the somebody would let us in. And we did. And then we found the door open. You would not have called to me unless I had been calling to you.
1: Stephen Thorne is probably my definitive Aslan. Oh, really? I thought he did really, really well. Mm -hmm. He has a quality to his voice which seems like it's youthful and powerful. That's a good word, youthful. But still... The wisdom uh, th- of thousands of years. Wise and authoritative. Mm-hmm. So that's why I appreciate his performance so well mm-hmm. in these productions. Where, you know, David Suchet, he's trying very hard to be a lion. He's you trying have very, very hard. Liam Neeson, who's trying very hard to be Obi-Wan wise, Obi-Wan. <laughs> But Stephen Thorne fits that wonderful balance of having someone who's powerful but yet wise. In other words, not safe but good. Not safe, but good. That's uh-huh. a very good way to put it.
2: Uh huh. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I wouldn't say he's my definitive Aslan or anything, but I, I think he did. I think he did a very good job. I think it. it he Aslan d- is in the story.
1: What, in terms of performance, at least, yeah, that's what he needs to be. Now, Rosemary Martin mm-hmm. as the witch, I think, did a fairly good job. Yeah, she's as pretty Jade good. Is.
0: Even if Aslan is in Narnia, he isn't here to stop me. But the other three, Aslan may not stop long. And then, then we would fall upon the three at Care Paravel and do away with them.
1: But some other members of the cast that uh, people might be interested in, uh, Timothy Bateson played Nickabrick in the BBC4 radio dramas, Uh but he plays Mr. Beaver in Focus on the Family's radio dramas. Oh really? Yes, I didn't know that. Yes, he does, and I was just crossover. I was just listening to that in the car, uh, listening to Prince Caspian in the car, and yep, that was him. But even more interesting is Polly March, because she played Mrs. Beaver in both radio dramas what she did if you listen BBC to bbc and focus she plays in, same Mrs. in Beaver. both bbc 4 and in radio you know focus on the family radio theater it's the same actress playing the same part
0: oh she wants is to get all four of you she's thinking all the time of those four empty thrones at care power once all four of you were inside her house her job would be done
1: and then there's uh, Bernard Cribbins, who uh, played Puddleglum in BBC4, but he plays the chief duffer in Focus on the Family's uh, production.
2: Wow. And does a better job at the duffer, I think, than Puddleglum. Maybe for, I'll just probably. Never, maybe I'll just never be Can I rant about Glum for just a moment here? Sure. Yeah. Just, I, I, guess, I guess I should mention Puddleglum in here at some point. Um, what's the actor's name again?
1: Bernard Cribbins.
2: Yeah. I thought, um, I've always said with Puddleglum, look, whatever you do, just don't make him Eeyore. And I don't think BBC Radio Puddlegum is Eeyore. I think it's a further step in the wrong direction. He's downright neurotic.
0: Have we got all the things we need, Puddlegum?
2: Until they get too heavy for us to go on carrying them, or we drop
0: them in climbing, or they get washed away in crossing rivers. can we just get started? Of course. Not that this will end any other way than badly, but then I did warn everybody, not that that will be much compensation when we're lost, or
2: worse... He's just a coward, and he's constantly worried and anxious. And what do we do? And hmm. um, so, puddleglum is—he should be voicing the worst-case scenario constantly, but he's not particularly sad about it. Just well, that's just the way it is. Um, and this actor sounded like—I just imagine Glum is constantly looking around, waiting for the sky to fall. Is how I kind of imagine this one. So, um, I mean, I. Maybe I'll just never be happy with puddle glum. I mean, I was pretty happy with the focus on the family puddle glum. I thought he captured hmm. it pretty
1: well, of, you know, that's nah, nah, just the way it is kind of quality. But yeah, so. we'll see, I'm a fan of Doctor Who. And so I was just enjoying Bernard Cribbins' performance because he plays Donna's grandfather on Doctor Who. So I knew who this actor and was. And of course, as Tom Baker is, to is a puddle glum at BBC. And so. Exactly. So it's funny how these all sort of tie together. <laughs> Speaking of famous actors, uh, uh, Timothy Spall played Puzzle. Uh, and Timothy Spall's, what? yeah, a uh, movie actor from uh, from today that you might recognize uh-huh. if you looked him up.
0: Uh, all the same shit. Yes. Oughtn't we to give it a decent burial? I right. mean, aren't all lions
1: rather, well, rather special? What? Because of, well, because of
0: you know who. Now,
2: now, don't you start getting ideas into your head, Puzzle.
1: Uh-huh. And then Sylvester McCoy plays Reaper Cheap and he was there Radag- goes my stump question. Uh, he was Radagast in uh, in the Hobbit yes. and in the, uh, in the Hobbit movies and yes. Uh, in the Hobbit movies and then uh, he also played Doctor Who on the television series. Wow. Yeah. So
2: And I was also disappointed with his performance as Reaper Cheap. I thought he was
1: uh And I also enjoyed his performance well, as Reaper Cheap. I, I thought, I he, thought was, he was I thought he was great. I
2: just didn't get the sense of the character Doubt not Reapy Cheap to find all you seek
0: There is the Utter East. I do not know what it means, but the spell of it has been on me all my life.
1: I guess I just didn't get the valiance at all. See, I think the writing for Reba Cheap is much better in the Focus on the Family versions, but as far as the actual performance, his voice didn't annoy me like the vocal quality and the focus on the family oh really version so mm-hmm. that's another reason why i appreciated okay that is it, it was just his normal voice only it was pitched just a little bit higher yeah maybe i think the
2: accent annoyed me a little bit too he was doing kind of an irish thing i mm-hmm. think and for some reason i found that distracting i don't know i appreciate someone trying to put a, a take on a famous character but i just kind of found that distracting um i think we've kind of interwoven our overall thoughts into a lot so. of this but do you want to kind of give uh so someone listening to this um who is, you know, obviously they've fan of narnia read a bunch of times probably listened to other adaptations or her watched other adaptations as well should they uh, make the effort to listen to these as well what's your recommendation I think so. I think over the course of five years, you'll finally
1: get it done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, five minutes a day or so. Sure, why not? Here's the thing. Here's my overall summation of the BBC4 radio dramas. These radio dramas are what you would listen to if you wanted to speed date Narnia. He <laughs> doesn't a, want to do that. He you know? just wanted to get a sense for what Narnia was without notes. actually, you know, too much investment. Then this is what you would listen so if to you, if you if you
2: suddenly if you realize you have to write an essay about the Chronicles of nani or something exactly and it, it's due it 's due
1: in five years um, <laughs> <laughs> and you don't want to read the books, you could just listen to these in the car or something or you could uh, just listen to them at two times speed, and it wouldn't matter because it, you just wouldn't notice the difference i th- see I would say if you listen to them at um or listen to BBC radio dramas at half speed, and then it'll seem about the same as the regular Ooh. audiobooks. That's one way to do it. Maybe about 0. 0.75. <laughs> I would not recommend these BBC four radio dramas f- for someone who has not read the books.
2: Yeah. So um, a, a, a half-hearted recommendation on these if you're a fan of Narnia and you're just curious. Um, like but, that sums it up right yeah, there. But, yeah, but there's no reason to, if you've heard the focus on The Family Virgins, man, if, if you just want a good narny radio drama, you don't need to look any further than that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this was going to be the part where I did a stump question. Please do. But uh, I was going to ask about... <laughs> no, uh, please, please, go ahead, give it to me. Um, I would love to hear it. Okay. Please. Uh, can I just, I'll just make one up then. No, um, no, no,
1: this has got to, you have to use the one that you were planning Okay, I'm ready for this now. I was gonna ask you uh, the no, voice wait. of Reepicheep. You got to edit in the fanfare and everything. <laughs> <sighs> who
2: was so the the voice of Reepicheep plays who in the Hobbit movies?
1: Radagast the Brown. You got it. Yes, I did not even need to use Queen Susan's horn.
2: Hooray! And he didn't even have to de- 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 uh, de- sanit- uh, didn't have to sanitize it or anything. You know exactly like we were gonna do. So sorry, guys, that we're waiting on pins and needles for the stump
1: question. Um, that was easy. I would have, I, I would have actually have known that even if you hadn't given away the question really? beforehand. Okay, that's nice. Good for you, because these are these are so obscure. I thought
2: maybe, I, well, it's because you're an actor. That's why you pay attention to this stuff. But I just like Sylvester should McCoy. Should have known better. Okay, fair enough. All right, um, that's it. I don't have the intro in front of me, um, or the outro, I should say. Um, so I guess I'll just...
1: We can wing it. Between the two of us, we should be able to get it. Okay. So it's probably... So you have been listening to Talking Beasts, a narniweb.com podcast. I think it's like, be sure to subscribe mm-hmm. and post a comment below or in the Talking Beasts Facebook group. Now, if you want to send a comment, you should send it to... Or an, e- or an email. An email. You email,
2: us, you can email us at or glumpuddle at narniweb.com. And new episodes are released on the 7th and 17th of every month. Um, and, and it's something like, uh, uh, I guess it's... A, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We'll be back until then. Further up and further in.
1: Nailed it.
0: It is done. Good. Follow me. Come further up. Come further in.